If you'd open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, we'll continue in our study through the book of 1 Samuel. Last week, we started in the book of 1 Samuel, and we met a family. We met a man by the name of El, and he had two wives. His first wife, or we believe to be his first wife, was Hannah, and perhaps his second wife was Peninnah. And uh, we know that Hannah couldn't have any children, and that created a lot of controversy, a lot of problems between Hannah and Peninnah. You know, uh, they, Peninnah was, uh, you know, she was provoking her. She was sort of making fun of her. She was, and as you can imagine, with this whole two-wife thing, that would be, a, that would be an issue in anybody's household, I would think. And uh, here, uh, Elkanah has this problem. He, we know that he, he loves Hannah more because the scripture tells us, and he gives her a double portion to sacrifice when they go up to the temple, at, or they go up to the tabernacle at Shiloh. And, uh, but this idea or this problem that, that Hannah was being, so, was being treated poorly was, was really affecting her, you know, because she wasn't able to bear children, which not only, was that, not only is that a problem in that day from the outside world, but now here's this woman who she's probably around on a regular basis who now is, you know, she, she's poking at her, she's prodding at her, she's really kind of getting under, under her skin, if you will. But then we saw the beautiful thing that, uh, that Hannah did, and she, she goes into the, into the tabernacle after, you know, she didn't eat, and she goes into the tabernacle, and she, she pours out her heart before the Lord. And we read there in the scriptures that she came in bitterness of soul. She was weeping in anguish. She described herself as having a sorrowful spirit. She's filled with grief, and she goes before the Lord, which we talked about what a great place to be in that kind of situation, and how that it was okay to go before the Lord in that kind of situation. And as she's there pouring out her heart before the Lord, she says, Lord, God, I'll make you a promise. If you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll be ba- I'll give him back to you for the rest of his life. The priest, Eli, is watching what's going on. And what does he think? He thinks she's drunk. He thinks she's had too much to drink. He says something to her. Hey, stop drinking so much. What are you doing? And she says, no, no, my Lord. I'm not drunk. I'm a woman of sorrow. I'm a woman of grief. I'm a woman who's coming before the Lord. And once he hears this from her and he talks to her and he realizes this, he tells her, he he says to her, you know, may the Lord fulfill your promise. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And and, And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. Then we read in the very next verse, in verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped. And we talked about this incredible change that Hannah had. You know, first she comes to the Lord just broken down, weeping. And then here in the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, she lays everything back on him. You know, I believe she said, Lord, whatever you want. I've made my request to you, but I'm okay with whatever you do. I believe she came to the place where she said, God, it's what you want, not what I want. If you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And she lays that down, and she comes out with her countenance changed. And we talked about how prayer can do that. You know, it is okay to go to the Lord with a down countenance, to be grief, to be sorrow, and you will get your countenance changed by spending time in prayer with God. So she comes back, and she worships. And then we read, she gets pregnant. She goes back home, she gets pregnant, she bears a son. And then she spends the next, well, Bible scholars would say about three years nursing the son, at about three years, her little boy is now old enough to be weaned, and she's time for her to fulfill her promise. So they travel back to Shiloh. They travel back to the place where she made the promise. And she says, I'm going to give Samuel, my, my son Samuel, I'm going to give him back to the Lord. 
How do you think that felt? For three years, she's been taking care of this young boy, three-year-old, three years old. And now she's about to drop him off, about to say, well, not goodbye forever, but goodbye in a sense. You're no longer, you're still my son, but I'm leaving you in the service of the Lord. I think that would be hard, don't you? I think as a mom, not as a mom, but I think as a, not me being a mom, but the moms out there, to take your child and say that I've given him to the Lord and then drop him off for the Lord. But we talked about how she was fulfilling her promise and how important that was, that when you make a promise to God, you need to fulfill it. So she's here. She's, she's here in Shiloh. She's lent him to the Lord or given him to the Lord. And it says at the very end of chapter 1, so they worshiped the Lord there. So they worship the Lord there. And then we pick up in chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies, but I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Hannah is there praising God, and i got to believe at the same time her heart's breaking. Because she's about to say goodbye to her little boy. But at the same time, she's praising God. How can that happen in life? How is that possible? Because she's not focusing on her circumstance. She's focusing on her God. She's not focusing on the circumstance that she's within at the moment. She's focusing on who God is. Mm -hmm. Write it down. You can praise God in difficult circumstances. As long as you're focusing on him and not the situation that you're in. That's how it's possible for a mom to bring her three-year-old little boy to the tabernacle there, to getting ready to drop him off. They're worshiping the Lord, and she prays, and she says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Not in my circumstances. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn, that, that word for horn, it means strength. My strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. Who's she smiling at? Who's she smiling at? Peninnah. Yeah, that's who she's smiling at. I have no doubt. She was probably there. This would have been the time where they all traveled up there together. And this woman who's given her such a hard time, now she's there and here she is presenting her child to the Lord. Because I rejoice in your salvation. I rejoice in your salvation. And then she says in verse 2, and this, this very well is, may have been a song that she's actually singing. And I, one other thing on this. I think she's been planning this. I don't think this came off the top of her head. I think that as she sat with that child, she knew the day was coming where she had to give him to Eli. She knew there was a day coming, and I think she thought, what am I going to do? Perhaps there's a little bit of a ceremony going on here. There's a child being dedicated to the Lord. So when she's saying this, I think it's, a, I think it's, it's certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I think it's a well-planned-out, well-thought-out song or well-planned-out prayer. And she says, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Wow. What powerful words. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Now, just in case you're wondering, you say, well, Rob, if this is a song, it doesn't really rhyme. Usually songs have, you know, well, wait a minute, it was a different language, right? It would have been in Hebrew. Well, it still wouldn't have rhymed. You know, because the poetic version or the, or the, the version in Hebrew, it didn't rhyme words. It, 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 rhymed, uh, it rhymed meanings. 
If you, if you really, she, in, the, in verse 2, she's saying the same thing three times in just three different ways. So she's saying there is, there, no one is holy like the Lord. There's none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. If we can believe those things, if you can come to the place where you really do believe and there's nothing greater than the Lord, there's no one besides you, there is no rock like our God, you will stand strong on this earth because your faith will be in him, not in your circumstances. Because when we put our hope, when we put our faith, when we put our happiness or our trust in the circumstance that we're in, it's okay while it's good, but what happens when it turns bad? What happens when somebody starts to make fun of you? What happens when an adversary comes along and they begin to point out some shortcoming in your life? That's what Penina was doing, pointing out her faults. You can't have kids. And Hannah's saying, my hope's in the Lord. The Lord's my rock. If he wants me to have kids, I'll have kids. My hope's in him. I trust in him. I'm not hoping in my circumstance. Do you realize that if we can actually get that into our mind, it changes the way we live our lives? Because then we don't look at our circumstance for our happiness. It's easy for me to say, I'm standing up here. It's a lot harder to live. Because when those difficult circumstances come, that's when you're tested and say, what will you put your hope in? Will you turn back and say, no one is holy like the Lord? There is none besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Will you put your trust in him that way? I suspect that we kind of go back and forth sometimes. I suspect that we go back and forth. But I think that's okay too. As long as we know where it needs to be and we move in that direction. Because I think that when we start to trust in our circumstances, we can sense that. And we know that. Our countenance drops. Everything about us, we begin to get depressed. We begin to get, you know, maybe anxious. We begin to turn it back to the Lord. Put my hope back in him. Put my trust back in him. If you're anything like me, that's a repetitive cycle sometimes. Sometimes my hope is in him. Sometimes it's in my circumstances. He who has begun a good work in us will complete it. It's okay. We're not, he's not done with us yet. She goes on, and at, at, the start, at this point in this prayer, I think she looks directly at Penina, and she says this. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. She says, stop talking so proudly, with pride. Stop talking so proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. Do you know the number one way that you show pride is when you open your mouth? I mean, think about this. A prideful person, now you can, show, you, can, you can be prideful in your countenance or in your facial expressions, but if you, cl- if you close your mouth, that's how people tell you how great they are. If somebody prideful wants to tell you how great they are and what they've done and all this stuff about them, they can't do it unless they open their mouth. So really what she's saying is be quiet as she looks at her. God's the one in charge. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. God, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. He knows what he's doing, and by him actions are weighed or discerned. You see, God knows who we really are. And there's a, there's a choice, I think, that we have before the Lord. We can be humble before the Lord, or we can be humbled before the Lord. I think it's better for us to humble ourselves than to be humbled by him. Because the truth is, he'll do a better job of humbling us, but if we can humble ourselves and we can remember that 
He's God. And we're the created ones. We are his servants. We are potters in the hand, we are clay in the hands of the potter. We, 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 are, we, we are tools in the master carpenter's hands. We are here for him and for his good pleasure, the scripture would tell us. That's the humility that we need to have. You see, too, many, too often we approach God and we think of God as he's here for me. Lord, would you help me out of this? Would you get me through this? Would you do this for me? Would you do that for me? Never asking the question, God, what can I do for you? Humble ourselves. God knows who we really are. In verse 4, she continues and says, The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. The hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren have borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. Perhaps she's talking about the situation between her and Peninnah. Verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. The Lord's the one in charge. God is the one in control, she's saying. God is the one who does this. He'll take those who are humble and he'll raise them up. He'll take those that are prideful and he'll bring them down. Humble yourself before the Lord. He's the one that's doing this. He continu- she continues, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Where do you stand? For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Her praise is not only for what God has done. She's praising God for what he's going to do. Look at the next two verses. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She's praising God for what he's done in her life. But she's also praising him for what he's about to do. When it says he will give strength to his king. Did Israel have a king then? Israel didn't have a king. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Absolutely. Well, how do you know he's talking about Jesus, Rob? Well, if you look down at the very next verse, it says, And exalt the horn, and the horn references might, power, strength of his anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. It's Messah is what it's called, Messah. The Greek word for for Messah is Christ. So you could translate this in in, in exalt the horn of Christ. Exalt the horn of Christ. This is the first place in the Old Testament we see Christ being mentioned as the king. On Sunday mornings, we're going to start in the book of Revelation. And it's going to give you a whole new perspective on who Jesus is. You see, when you study through the Gospels and you study through the prophets, well, the prophets do show you Jesus as king. But when you study through the Gospels and a lot of the New Testament, you see Jesus as a suffering servant. But when you see in Revelation, you're going to see Jesus as a king. When we sing King of Kings and we sing Lord of Lords, you're going to see just the the magnitude of the power of the judgment of the righteousness of, of what he holds in his hand. It's going to give you a whole new perspective. If you've never studied through it, you're going to be blessed by it. Because you'll never look at Jesus the same again. Because he, you, you see him, yeah, he's the suffering servant. He died for my sins. He loves me. He did. But then you're going to see another side of him. You're going to begin to complete the picture of who he is. 
the Messiah, the anointed one, the king of kings, the one who holds the title deed to earth, the one who's going to pour out judgment, the one who stands, who judges righteously. We're going to see a whole new side of him. And it, 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 it enhances worship of him because you realize, wow, I didn't realize there was that much power. I didn't realize there was that much going to happen. Now, we won't get, all there. We won't get through all that on the first day. But through the study of Revelation, you're going to see, I think you'll be blessed because you'll, you're probably going to, unless you've studied a lot of the Old Testament prophets and you've never studied Revelation, you've probably never seen Jesus in the picture that you're going to see him in Revelation. All right, verse 11. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Three years old. The child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Three years old, he's ministering. What is he doing? What, is, what could a, wait a minute, Rob, you just said he's ministering. Does this not tell us that anybody can minister to the Lord? What do you think he's doing? Hey, Samuel, would you pick up the garbage around the tabernacle? Hey, Samuel, would you go get some more oil for the lamps? Hey, Samuel, would you do these things? Do you notice that that is seen as ministry to the Lord? You see, sometimes we think of ministry to the Lord and it's doing what I'm doing tonight. That's not, I mean, it is ministry in a sense, but do you know that picking up garbage in the parking lot on your way in is ministry to the Lord? If you're doing it unto the Lord, you could do it because you just want to be clean. But if I say to, or if you say in your mind, you know, I want to serve the Lord. How can I serve the Lord? Oh, I'm going to clean up. uh, There's some garbage. I'm going to pick it up and bring it in and throw it away. I'm going to serve the Lord that way. That's ministry. You're getting blessed for that. That's that's a big deal in God's eyes. You're doing something purposely for him. Don't let anybody discount ministry because in society we look at and say, well, picking up garbage, that's a lowly job. That's ministry to the Lord. Three years old, ministering to the Lord. I wrote this down. You can serve the Lord in practical ways. If Samuel can do it at three years old, we can do it at any age. If you can serve like a three-year-old, you can be classified as ministering to the Lord. You just have to be willing to do it. Now, oh, here we go, verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They're corrupt. They did not know the Lord. How is that possible? How's that? Wait a minute. Eli was the high priest. These are, these are his sons. We read, we read their names in the, earlier in the chapter. I mean, earlier in the, in the book, chapter 1. The sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. They're corrupt, but they're serving in the tabernacle. They're serving, supposedly serving God. They did not know the Lord. Look at verse 13. What were they doing that was wrong? And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and the priest would take for himself all the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Did you catch what they were doing? 
When you would come to the tabernacle to sacrifice, you would bring different kinds of offerings. There were peace offerings, there were fellowship offerings, and, and part of these offerings, when you would, when you would, the, the, these animals would be, would be killed, the shoulder portion was, belong, was supposed to go to the priest. It was, his, it was sort of his payment. The, uh, the fattiest portion was to go to the Lord, because the fattiest portion was seen as the delicacy. It's, it was seen as the best part. I think, well, God's taken the best, well, he's taken the unhealthy part from us, really. But he's taken the, he's take, the fatty portion was supposed to go to the Lord. The shoulder portion was to go, to go to the priest. And then what was left was to go back to the people that were making the sacrifice. It was a fellowship. You were supposed to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. So what they were doing is they were stealing from the people's portion of the sacrifice. So God got his part. The priest got theirs, of course. They weren't going to do that. But then the people, what was supposed to go back to them, they were taking some of it. They were take, keeping it for themselves. They were stealing from the people there. Now I want you to notice who was doing that. Who was doing that? It's going to be the priest's servants. The priest's servants. It says the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged flesh hook. I thought it was the two sons of Eli that were the corrupt ones, that were the evil ones. Well, yeah, but they were getting somebody else to do their dirty work. You see, when it's corrupt up here, the good chance it's going to be corrupt all the way down through the organization. So they were getting the servants. They were getting the, the, the people that would come to the tabernacle to serve. They were getting them to s- stick the flesh hook in and steal from the people. But that's not all they were doing. Look at verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I'll take it by force. The fat was the Lord's portion. They were supposed to give that part to the Lord. But they wanted it because it was a delicacy. It tasted better. They kept it for themselves. If the people questioned what they were doing, they questioned the authority of the priest. Well, shouldn't we burn that to the Lord first? No, we'll take it by force. They threaten violence. They threaten violence. Look at what God's house has become. People are supposed to be coming to meet with the Lord and sacrifice to the Lord, and look what it's become. So I'll call them pastors. The priests in charge are stealing from the people, and they're also stealing from God. Verse 17, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, and here's why. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The sin was very great. Not only were they, here's the problem. They were stealing from the people. They were stealing from God. But here's the problem. They got in the way of the relationship between man and God. When it says men aboard the sacrifices, that said men, because of the way they were acting, they never wanted to come to the tabernacle to make sacrifices. They were tired of getting beaten up. They were tired of getting threatened violence. They were tired of having to deal with these corrupt individuals so therefore, they decided, I don't want to go take sacrifices. That's the, that's, that's the big fault there. They abhorred what they, the system that God set in place, they've just mutilated it. And now they're keeping people from meeting with the Lord. They're driving them away. They're, the people are abhorring the system that God designed because the priests are greedy. And they want food and they want to make themselves fat, literally. They're going to eat themselves fat. The scripture is going to tell us that Eli was fat because of his food. But then back to verse 18. But Samuel, 
ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Do you see the contrast here? We have Samuel, this little boy, young man maybe at this point, probably less than 12, somewhere between 3 and 12. He's ministering to the Lord wearing a little priestly ephod. He's wearing little priestly garments. At the same time, these two evil men are stealing from, the God, from God and they're stealing from the people. That happens today. That happens today. You can go into churches where there's two servants of the Lord that are stealing from the people. But know this. If that's happening in a ministry somewhere, there's also going to be a Samuel that can be raised up. There's also going to be, the Lord's not done. It's not happening by chance. You see, the Lord's in the process of making a transition. These guys, Eli and his children and his sons, they weren't doing, they didn't understand the heart of God. They weren't, they weren't representing him rightly to the people. But God says, I'm going to find somebody that will. I'm going to raise somebody up that will. And then when you look at God's plan, God had to bring Hannah put her in this situation to endure what she endured to bring her to her knees to him to say, Lord, I'll do what you want. She gives him Samuel. Samuel comes to the temple. And now as we see this right in the middle, we see this stark contrast of Samuel serving in his priestly garments, pleasing the Lord. And we see these other two displeasing to the Lord. I I wrote down here, people can hate the church today because of greedy or wicked servants of the Lord. But in their midst, Samuels are still present today. You'll see the church be, you'll see people that are using the church to exploit the people in the church. They're stealing from the church, from from the people that come to the church. They might even be stealing from the church themselves, but that's okay. It's not okay in a sense that it's not, it's not, it's, 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 God's still at work there. God's sovereignty is still in play there. Their day is coming. Don't worry. Like, remember what, remember what Hannah was saying. You're, you're, it's going to, your day is going to come. But in the meantime, God's going to be raising up Samuels to carry on what he has planned. I wrote this. The sons of Eli are not gone from the church today, but neither are the Samuels. The sons of Eli are not gone from the church today, but neither are the Samuels. It's still the contrast still, it still exists. But there are still Samuels. There are still people out there that say, I want the heart of the Lord. I want to represent God properly. I want to do what's right. Man, Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Verse 19, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. How cute is that? Mom sewed a little ephod for him. Every year she had to make it a little bigger. I wonder how she overestimated from year to year. You know, and he sits there and he's got it, it's a little bit long, it's a little bit big on him maybe. And she's, just, she's making it for him. Every year she gets to go see him and what's been going on and talk to him and see what's taking place. And she brings him a new outfit. 
You know, how cute. And you just know that she's making it with such great care. And she's taking the time and everything that she, to make it perfect for him. How sweet is that? And Eli, verse 20, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. They would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. She gave the Lord one child and she received one son and she received three more sons and two daughters. You can't outgive God. God will never owe you anything. Think about that. Everything that you give to God, you're going to get back in multiple returns. She gave one son and received three. Plus two daughters. One child and receive five. It works the same way. We, there is, you know, anything that you do for the Lord, anything that you give to the Lord, whether you're giving of your time to volunteering for something, whether you're giving of your talents, if you have a, a certain talent, you give that to the Lord and use it, whether you're giving of your, of your resources, you will never be on, God will never be indebted to you. You will never given him more than he's given you. That's a principle that we can't understand. Think about that for a minute. Wouldn't that make you want to give more to God? You, you, I mean, you, you just, I could turn that into a great tithing and giving message. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be the one that's pressuring and stealing from the people. But I think when we give to God, understand this concept. And I'm not talking about money, just money. Money is, certainly is included. But understand this concept. When I, when I give to God, I'm going to get back more than I gave. I'm the one that's going to be blessed. Let me put it to you this way. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your time to accomplish his will. He doesn't need your talents to accomplish what he wants. And he doesn't need your money to accomplish what he wants to do in his church or whoever else we give our money to. He doesn't need it. He's got all of that at his fingertips. So why, we, why do we do it? Is it because God wants it? No, it's for us. When I give something to the Lord and I say, it's my way of sacrificing to God. God, I'm giving this back to you. And he's like, wow, that's great. And he's going to bless me with more. You won't get to heaven, I promise, and say, God, I gave you money at Calvary Chapel and you didn't pay me back. You might not recognize when he pays you back. You might miss the blessing. But I can promise you, you will, he will never be indebted to you. And the more that you give, the more blessings that you get. That alone is the reason that we go before him and say, Lord, here it is. It's all yours. Whatever I have, whatever, everything I have, that, that's the point that we want to come to. God, everything I have is yours. My house, my talents, my life, my money, everything, it all belongs to you. What do you want to do with it, Lord? That's the, that's the point that we ultimately want to come to. But we start out slowly. Lord, you can have this, but not that. You can have this, but not that. But ultimately, let the Lord keep working and get to the place where you can just simply say, God, it all belongs to you. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want. I think that as we looked at Hannah's prayer tonight, I think we saw some things about her that are important for us to remember. And we'll kind of, I guess we can close with this. Um, I think it's, it's, it's safe to say uh, Hannah, Hannah was a godly mother. You know, I think that she, we saw that she put God first by her going before the Lord like she did. We saw that she, uh, she was a woman of prayer as she went before the Lord. We saw that uh, 
she kept her vows before the Lord as she turned over her three-year-old little boy and, and spoke that wonderful prayer to the Lord. And we also saw her in that, in that song or in that prayer, give God the glory for what was taking place in her life. You know, and I think that if we can kind of remember those things tonight and just, and just those, those four things, those characteristics, you know, put, put God first in your life. Put God first. Be a, be a man or woman of prayer. If you make your promises, keep them, not only to God, but to other people. And give God the glory for what he's doing in your life. You know, don't, don't just take it upon yourself. If, if, you're, if you're successful, if you're doing well, if you're on top right now, make sure you realize that it's because the Lord is blessing you. And not because you're smart or you, you know, accomplished something or you've done a good job or you made a good business decision or you, you, know, you're, you did really well on a test in school. It's not because you're smart. I mean, you might be smart, but you got that intelligence from the Lord. You, know, you got that from him. It's a gift from him. So, so let's keep those things in mind. And uh, when it comes to the rest of the chapter, where it talks about the, about the problems in the tabernacle, all churches have problems. Do you know? I mean, now certainly not to that extent, and, and God's going to deal with that. And we're going to see next week as God deals with those two men that are, that are stealing from the people and stealing from God. And he, God takes it very, very seriously when somebody gets in the way of his people coming before him. If somebody, if a, if, a, if, a, if a man is getting in the way of God's people, if the people are saying, I don't want to go there because of the way I'm being treated, that God's going to take that serious. And we'll see next week. And you can read ahead if you want. And, but we're going to see how he deals with it. And it's not lightly. It's rather harshly. God's serious about when he says, represent me the right way. So let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we pick up next week, you'll, uh, you'll develop that message as well. And Lord, that it'll not just be about the scriptures ahead of us, but it'll be about how it impacts our life. Um, Lord, may we be like Hannah. May we be those people who, who put you first. May we be men and women of prayer, Lord. Not taking our relationship with you lightly. Lord, may we know who you are. Lord, may we be people who keep our vows as difficult as they might be and praise you in the midst of them like she did. Not looking to our circumstances for joy, but looking to our God for our salvation. And Father, may we give you glory in all those things. May we give you glory in everything that you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen.